Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb the sea. Welcome back to another episode of the Art and Science of Running podcast. Today, we're interviewing Coach Carla, who's a nutrition coach based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. But Carla is from Mexico and has lived in Mexico, US, and Canada and studied in each of those places. Um, Carla is an endurance athlete. Um, a world-class ultra runner, uh, but also a competitive swimmer from her youth. We'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, Carla is also a doctor of nutrition and metabolism. So again, we, we're we often asked questions as coaches about nutrition. And while we have some general knowledge, uh, we've, we've taken the classes in, in nutrition, um, in exercise science departments and things like that. But as far as being experts, uh, we don't feel qualified to answer all of the questions. We're not up to um, all of that, uh, whatever the latest research is, but, but Carla is, and that's why we're having her on here. So, so welcome, Carla. Hi, happy to be here. Thank you. Um, and we, uh, we really just, you know, we want, we want an expert and that's, that's why we have created this space, uh, to discuss the art and the science of, of running. And so you know more about nutrition than anyone that I'm aware of. So, so thank you for, thank you. for being willing to share your, your time and expertise with us today. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Um, so I said a few things about you, um, and you know, those are just a few bullet points in your resume, but we really want to get to know Carla, the person and, and what caused you to, to go into nutrition and, and what you do now and how you help people when it comes to nutrition. So, so can we go back <laughs> several years and, and, uh, and can you just tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and how you got into sports and how that may have led to your interest in nutrition? Alrighty. Well, sports. Um, I never thought I would be a runner, right? Um, I started basically uh, doing sports since like probably when I was seven years old and so, and that was swimming, right? Uh, my dad was actually uh, my swimming coach. He's the one that taught me and my sister uh, how to swim and so, and, and that's why, that's when I started to compete, right? But I, I was probably a swimmer from the age of seven, a competitive swimmer, uh, till I was like 13, 14. And that's when actually I started to run. Like I discovered, I mean, I always liked to run, but I was always like, I'm a swimmer. That's what I do. And I would only run 
this to warm up or those days when you do dry land and then but I liked running and actually I started to run more seriously when they performed at the top swimmers they would do the 12 minute test like on the track and so and that's when they told me oh you should run because you are faster than most of the swimmers like when it comes to running <laughs> So I yeah. was like, hey, I always like to run, right? Like, yeah, my mom says I would always run here and there and then like, you know, um, running with the boys and then well, that's what I liked, right? And we had a huge garden, so I would run lots. Uh, and that's when I just started to run like a bit more serious, but I, I was doing more, um, it's called modern pentathlon, right? That was my sport from the age of 14 to 15, but I was always the swimmer. Like I would run okay. just so that I would not, um, I would not get caught basically, but it wasn't my focus, right? I was a 200 meter butterfly swimmer and I was very happy with it, right? Uh, and then I stopped swimming. I stopped because I started my university degree. Actually, I decided to uh, become a um, nutritionist. In Mexico, uh, you have to choose what you want to study um, just as soon as you're done uh, your high school, right? Depending on that, it's not like here that it's bachelor in sciences. You actually mm -hmm. have to choose. Uh, what degree you want to study, right? Okay. So then when you are 16, 17, you already have to know pretty much what you want to do. And hopefully you don't make a mistake, right? Because that, <laughs> that would be a tragedy. Uh, but I kind of like nutrition because um, my parents always thought that it would be a good idea to see like several dietitians, several nutritionists. And so, and that's when I saw that like as a chance to be close to uh athletes without always competing right i was like oh mm -hmm. i just want to be and i would see on tv you know like this um dietitians and so that would work with athletes and that's when i was like oh i i still want to do that right and that's when i decided i wanted to study nutrition uh actually my plan b was to uh become a physician so I applied to both universities, nutrition and medicine. I got in into both. And then I was like, no, I don't want to be an MD. I don't even know why I applied to this thing. And then <laughs> my dad told me, you should do what makes you happy. I mean, if you don't want to be a physician, why would you do this? I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I guess I'm going to do whatever makes me happy, right? So that's when I started to study uh, nutrition, but my focus, um, like was more like clinical nutrition at the beginning because mm -hmm. uh, that's how you make money basically in Mexico. Okay. <laughs> so I, but then I was also like um, taking lots of courses and studying lots in the area of sports nutrition, right? Because that's what I liked, mm -hmm. but um, you know, you also have to uh, make money. <laughs> I became, I was a clinical dietitian uh, in Mexico uh, most of the time, but I would split my time between sports and clinical nutrition, basically. That's kind of like what I did. And then uh, I was pretty young when I was doing uh, lots of clinical nutrition. And that's when I realized that it's the sports nutrition what makes me actually happy, right? Uh, clinical nutrition, um, sometimes you would see pretty bad cases of uh, patients so I found that I wasn't really uh, enjoying my job, right, as a clinician. And that's when I totally switched gears to uh, mostly sports. But my PhD is actually in clinical nutrition, right? Okay. Clinical nutrition, 
but I, while I was doing my PhD here in Canada, I just was taking all my courses to become also a personal trainer. And then by the end of my PhD, I basically uh, merged all the knowledge I had with like clinical nutrition, sports nutrition, training, and all those kind of stuff. And that's how I now have that sports nutrition kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also am a certified sports nutrition in, in the States. And in the States, that's where I did research, like more like uh, in animal models, like brain surgeries, like studying the response of uh, human beings um, after they're eating, like more from a central nervous system perspective. So it's basically what I merged by the okay. end of my PhD. Yeah, it sounds not super interesting, but when it's applied, it's actually very <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, it, it really is interesting. And and we recognize that um, this podcast, not just this episode, but, but the topics that we discuss on here are going to be more technical in nature. Uh, obviously, we like to have inspiring guests um, who are athletes on, but we... Um, and thus far we've succeeded, I think, in having some, some good guests who happen to be good athletes, but who are um, experts in their, in their respective fields, not just as athletes, but as, as professionals. Um, and so um, the people who are listening to this do care and do find it interesting. Uh, if, if that, uh, I hope that, I hope that helps. Um, yes. This isn't, there are a lot of podcasts out there where, you know, um, People are just interviewed depending on which big races are coming up or, you know, whoever's popular, whatever. That's not really our goal. Um, Our goal is to talk about, we want this to be a resource, not just of inspiration, but of actual, you know, factual information that will help people. Um, Obviously, I think it will help us as professionals, you as a nutrition coach and and me as a running coach and things uh, to be able to share these resources with people um, and provide it to a wider audience. But, you know, the goal is is really just to share and discuss this information um, so that so that people aren't just going to Google and finding (laughs) just some random pseudoscience out there. We we, want to actually um, talk with the experts who have done exactly what you said, who've who've been in the trenches, so to speak, and and actually done the research and seen what happens to the body and to the nervous system when when different foods uh, are introduced and things. So so where was that that you were doing your research? um, That in this... in the States, that was in Michigan. It, okay. In Holland, um, mm-hmm. the, um, Hope College, that's the college where I was. Okay. Uh, and my PhD was done here at the U of A, here in Edmonton. Okay, the University of Alberta? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And the, and was that correct that your your PhD is in nutrition and metabolism? or yes. what? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, again, uh, I don't get too caught up on... on all the initials and things like that, but I do think it, it does matter. You obviously put in a lot of work and, um, and some people want to make sure that, you know, the, that our guests are, are certified in whatever they're speaking uh, about. So, so thank you. That's great. Um, so what were some of the interesting things that you did find, um, in your research that, that might be applicable to, to athletes, um, in general and runners in particular? 
Well, my whole, um, uh, my PhD basically was all about epistrandial response, right? So basically everything what happens after you eat, right? So I studied basically prior to you uh, eating something and then per hour until the six hours post meal, right? So okay. um, that just allowed me to understand when do human beings like peak and oh, and I had three groups, right? Because I had um, people that had fatty liver disease because my main focus was in fatty liver disease. I had also overweight people and I had also lean people, right? Because I wanted to compare. Um, the different postprandial responses, right? Uh, and that's when I learned that human beings generally uh, peak or their glucose levels will peak at one hour post meal, right? And that's how I could really understand what happens uh, from a glucose and insulin perspective from the one hour peak to the clearance basically. So that means when your uh, glucose levels go back to what's considered normal. So that's something I use a lot for my runners, because let's say uh, you're racing, you're running an ultra marathon. So it's important for me to, it was important for me to understand, okay, you're going to peak at one hour. So when do we start? Uh, what do we need? How many carbs do we need? What's the rate of carbs and how much do you need per hour when you're racing, right? Uh, I also studied, I studied the glucose uh, profile, but also all the fatty acid analysis. So what happens with your triglycerides, what happens with your HDLs, LDLs, and also your response from a pro-inflammatory perspective, right? So that basically means the stress that your body um, is having after you're eating, right? So is your inflammation status high or low? Uh, infl inflammation from a systemic point of view using markers, right? Not just, oh, I just think I'm a bit like inflamed. Like we actually had markers to sustain our hypotheses. So those were two studies. And then the other thing that I used a lot that I'm currently using is that I also studied the whole body composition of people, right? Like the somatotype, the skin folds. And so to try to understand whether the skin folds correlate with the metabolic responses, right? So that's something I use right now because from what I saw during my study, um, some of the skin folds correlate very strongly to insulin resistance. So sometimes I can see, let's say um, you could see an athlete that let's say it's not um, sort of extremely lean, but do th thanks to um, the skin folds, you kind of can see the metabolic profile. Maybe this person has some kind of insulin resistance. Maybe uh, there's some kind of um, affected or abnormal lipid profile, right? Before something happens and it's expressed uh, through the lab values, right? So mm -hmm. body composition, I learned that it's like the first uh, attempt of your body to talk to you without being invasive, right? With you, you not necessarily need a lab work to see, okay, there might be some issues uh, outgoing here with this person. Yes, we obviously need the lab work to corroborate what you're seeing, mm -hmm. but your body composition uh, can tell you, um, you know, a couple of, of, of what's going on, right? Can mm -hmm. give you certain ideas of how or what's going on without and, and not to worry people because that's what i tell people actually in any case my studies just showed me that 
I should be like we we have to be more relaxed with the body composition because mm -hmm. it's not a straight line line that oh the leaner you are the faster you're gonna be mm -mm. no right there's it's or like oh the more you lose weight the faster you're gonna be not at all right so actually that's one of the key points that I learned during during my PhD it's not just I look good I'm healthy uh, not always back yeah. most of the time that's not how it goes right yeah so yeah that's that sounds really interesting and um i'm i'm sure it it certainly informs <laughs> the work that you do on a daily basis both in your own athletic pursuits but also working with athletes that's, mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that um so one of the questions that we've we we asked listeners to mm -hmm. to share some questions with us some some things that they'd like to know and um you mentioned uh, inflammatory foods. Yeah. And, um, and so one of our, one of our listeners and supporters of the show, um, from the U S <laughs> asked, he said, I'd like to hear a discussion of anti-inflammatory foods, particularly where there is conflicting evidence on a certain food being considered anti-inflammatory. For instance, nightshades seem to be on both sides of the equation. And I, I have that question as well, because, you know, in some instances, um, you're told don't eat nightshades um, and um, certain athletes have kind of certain diets that, uh, that that are kind of made famous and, and they say it's because they don't eat nightshades or whatever. And then there are other people who, uh, in fact, I was eating uh brunch with with our mutual friend eric reyes <laughs> this weekend uh, and uh and we were we we had this same question because he he had some homemade salsa that he that he put on it yeah. and it was it was like super picante <laughs> Oh, and uh, <laughs> and so we were talking about even just culturally um, how nightshades are or aren't appropriate, but um, how you know at least uh, some of the things that we've heard, um, like this this listener, his name is Cameron. Um, it's it's conflicting because you know some people say the more picante you eat, the the greater your metabolism is, or something like that, and then other people say no, don't eat nightshades which include peppers and tomatoes and things mm -hmm. because they um, aren't anti-inflammatory. Like they, they will inflame things. So could, do you mind kind of talking about that uh, yes, a little bit? Yes. I'll talk and, and also, cause it, it, it all kind of ties together with also probably what people have heard about the omega threes. And so, so also known as anti-inflammatories like the fish oil. And so, so mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll touch base on that. Cause it sort of, uh, ties all in together uh, mm -hmm. that was also my third study uh in my phd like my last study oh, okay. uh, nightshades well the problem here is that we have there's so many species of nightshades right so it's more than i think like more than two like thousands of nightshades type species right so uh basically it's really hard to uh perform a study with all the different types of nightshades, right? Because for example, we have, let's just talk about tomato uh, specifically and peppers, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that most of us, uh, that's what we would eat. And so mm -hmm. uh, there's really not conclusive um, research whether the whole group of nightshades will uh, be pro-inflammatory 
or anti-inflammatory, right? But if we go back to, uh, let's say peppers and chili, like spicy sort of, uh, mm -hmm. what makes our salsa picante, right? Uh, there's a very interesting research done in the UK where they actually, uh, uh, basically uh, they gave uh, the people that like the, the subjects of the study, they had to drink something that was spicy, right? Mostly this mixture made of pepper and like chili and so, right? And actually what they observed is that the postprandial response, so that means the clearance was faster when they were eating something that was picante, spicy, right? Um, okay. Because apparently the clearance, like glucose clearance and so was a bit uh, better, it was a bit faster, right? Uh, so here then are the confounding factors, right? Which I've always, whenever I, I read a study, I'm like, well, it could be the fiber that's mm -hmm. coming from uh, those vegetables, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the property, like per se, uh, you know, the spiciness or, or, or right? Capsaicin, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be that, oh, and one of the characteristics of this study is that most of them were Latinos, right? So okay. to me, that's a confounding variable too, because we're used to eat um, spicy stuff. Okay. So right. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, let's just check the tomato. Uh, tomato has a huge uh, amount of antioxidants, right? Uh, Anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. properties, and it's well known uh, because of a, of its antioxidant properties, which technically will decrease your state of inflammation. Right. Mm -hmm. So for some people, this would work. But on the other hand, let's say you have some stomach issues, you have colitis, you have gastritis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it could potentially upset your stomach, which as a consequence would create a state of inflammation in your body. Therefore, okay. it would not be recommended. But it's not per se a nightshade. It's mm -hmm. actually because you have an underlying issue there. And for this specific person, tomato uh, would not be advised to consume, right? Let's okay. say potatoes too. That's another uh, good one. Uh, potatoes are great for some athletes, right? Because, you know, it provides carbs and so. Uh, but let's just say that someone has some issues of insulin resistance or, you know, it doesn't have to be that they have high glucose values. They could just have insulin resistance and they, they just don't know it, right? So in this case, uh, your potato basically would cause you to peak a little bit higher when it comes to your glucose levels, right? Creating, mm -hmm. therefore, a state of inflammation. So it's not per se the potato, it's not the nightshade, it's actually because you have an underlying issue that uh, prevents you from, uh, from a proper clearance. So it's mostly mm -hmm. starchy what it's creating, creating your inflammation status. And it's not per se a nightshade, which is why we, my, my honest answer would be, we don't really know whether they're anti-inflammatory or they're pro-inflammatory. But what I can tell all my clients is, let's see what works for you, right? So to yeah. can work, for example, for Eric and I, we've always been eat like we, we've been eating this since we were kids. So mm -hmm. Definitely that works for us. But for someone yeah. who maybe has not been exposed at early mm -hmm. stages of their lives to, uh, you know, 
spice, picante salsas, and so, well, probably that would not work, right? Yeah. It actually would upset your body much more because you see it, you, people start sweating. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that's a state of stress for your body. Like, it's so spicy, I don't feel right, now my stomach hurts. Then, you know, later you'll go to the bathroom and that everything hurts. Like, it clearly, your body's not liking you. For, well, therefore don't don't have it right mm-hmm. uh, which also uh and, and all these anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory substances it depends on the state of your body right uh there's so many confounding variables which is exactly the same with the omega-3s like fish oil right mm-hmm. fish oil, like it, fish oil because it's anti-inflammatory it is in the kind of um, long period of time. That's why I tell my clients eat EP, like consume EPA and DHA because I, mm-hmm. I have seen that it, it you know, improves uh, and it decreases your levels of inflammation. During my studies, I did not see significantly any changes comparing a meal rich in omega-3 versus a, re- a meal poor in omega-3s. Like I did not see anything in my studies. And the Italians... <laughs> have seen so many changes. So like, this is just an example of what I swear I did not see a single change, right? It wasn't significantly, uh, it wasn't statistically significant, but other people in other parts of the world um, have seen changes. So that's just an example of how we really don't know. My advice Mm -hmm. to people is if you have doubts about certain foods, uh, keep a journal, and be alert of how you feel. And then mm-hmm. to all of those people that are my clients, I always ask them, okay, how did you feel? How did you feel here and there? Did, were you able to sleep? How did your training feel? And so, and then I can establish a correlation whether that works for X person or whether it just does not work for them. Right? We're very different as human. Every human being is different. And that's the problem with all these studies. We, like everyone is different. So if we perform a study in 15, 20 people, well, we get results. It doesn't mean it's going to be applicable to everyone. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Um, I really appreciate that explanation. And that's that's not necessarily the answer that people like to hear. Yes. It's um, because they want, (laughs) most people reach out to experts because they want a quick fix. You know, they want that silver bullet. Um, And and that's the thing with this. The more we study, the more we realize that we're extremely different. Like the lifestyle, Mm -hmm. for example, plays a huge role on the way, on your postprandial response. And we are human beings. So some days you're stressed out. Some days you're not. Some days you sleep good. Some days you're not we're so different and so the more we study basically the more questions we have like it's, yeah i some days feel i have even more questions right now than when i started my phd right because i realized <laughs> that we're extremely complex yeah no I, I really appreciate that uh on on my end i get asked quite a bit um about footwear or i get asked i do get asked quite a few nutrition questions and um i i appreciate what you just said about the anti-inflammatories um because i get that question quite a bit and and a lot of times at least from my my american uh 
um, athletes. Sometimes it comes because they watch American football and, mm-hmm. and Tom Brady claims he doesn't eat, you know, nightshades uh-huh. and, you know, he's had a long successful career. And so he attributes it in part to his diet. And so, uh, you know, if men health, if men's health does an article about not having nightshades, if you want to be like Tom Brady, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden everyone wants to eliminate nightshades from their diet. Yeah. At the same time, you know, if, if someone like say Zach Bitter mm-hmm. <laughs> runs a world record <laughs> for a hundred miles, um, and he ha- is on a fat adapted or a keto diet, yes. then all of a sudden people are like, Hey, should I be on a keto diet? Uh-huh. Do I need to eliminate uh-huh. carbs from my, um, from my diet? And, um, and my answer is usually, no, it, it depends, you know, exactly. like, <laughs> like let's figure out what works for you. Ex- yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's precisely. And one more thing, at this point, we don't really know the source, like where our vegetables are coming from, right? That's the other confounding variable. Is it like, you know, um, what about the whole like substances they use to uh, grow up like tomatoes, potatoes? And so is that actually what is affecting our body, right? Okay. Yeah, so, like the soil exactly. or the, the fertilizers, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then it just you know, it makes it even more confusing because that's why mm-hmm. I tell people, let's just see whether it works for you because you go to the same store, these are the tomatoes you buy or these are the potatoes mm-hmm. you buy. Let's just observe what your body's mm-hmm. trying to tell you. Yeah. Well, and and as you, as you said, um, when we go into the store, we may not actually recognize that one week we're getting tomatoes from Chile. Mm-hmm. One week we're getting tomatoes from a greenhouse in Alberta. Okay. One week we're getting, or, or BC, one week we're getting <laughs> tomatoes from Mexico or California um, and same with strawberries yeah. or, or berries or grapes or whatever. And so just because it's in the same local supermarket where we shop, it doesn't mean it's coming from the same place. Exactly. Um, we're all so used to, with globalization. We're just used to being able to have bananas year round or p- tomatoes year round. Whereas if, if we were growing all of our own food, it would be seasonal. Exactly. Uh, it wouldn't always be available. Um, and so what do you think about that? Um, should people adjust their diets based on the seasons or is that variable as well? <laughs> I think that's variable as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. I always tell people try to eat local, right? Because that's mm-hmm. when you make sure that when it's better quality and on top of that, you're supporting local uh, small businesses. And so, uh, but it, it all depends, right? Like see what, like when and we go back to the same thing, see what works for you. I, I, for example, my spouse, he can eat, you know, oranges for like, X period of time, uh, you know, two or three months, and then he needs like mm-hmm. a little break. It's almost like he mm-hmm. doesn't feel right. So I think your mm-hmm. body always tells you, I-, I don't want this anymore. So listen yeah. to your body. I think that's the connection we've lost lately. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I agree with, with that. I, I grew up in a, in a farm town, um, a lot of farm towns, but, but ultimately I, I went to middle school and high school in, in rural Oregon. And, um, basically anything that you planted <laughs> grew, um, the soil was really fertile. There was a ton of water, really hot, long growing seasons. And so if you wanted berries, if you wanted apples, pears, uh, basically other than like mangoes, avocados, and bananas, <laughs> you could, you could grow it. Um, nice. and so, so I grew up eating, 
fresh fruit and vegetables either from our own garden just in our our small yard um, or from local farms and and working on those farms and in those farmers markets and things like that uh, and then I moved here <laughs> and you've noticed that the different flavor I'm sure yeah not only yeah. the different flavor but like um, I don't even crave fresh uh-huh. fruit anymore or like, like I, tomatoes. I, like, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Because I'm used to tomatoes out of my mom's garden, yeah. uh-huh. like, yes. and, and, and cucumbers and mm-hmm. zucchini and, and, you know, we had compost in my backyard. Like it was like, there was never a time when we didn't compost. It was just kind of like, if there was something that was organic, that was, that we weren't going to actually be eating, it went back just uh-huh. right back into the soil. And, um, we didn't have bears either, so we didn't have to worry about that. But, but I mean, I I would have never even thought of putting gravy on anything. Right. And now I I live in a very cold place uh, yeah. that, where not a lot grows uh, other than alfalfa, um, and uh, so it's really good for um, fermenting grains and making you know Canadian whiskey and things. But um, as far as like just my tastes, like I eat. Right. Yeah. I, I don't eat very much fresh food anymore because I don't even crave it. I, I want to put gravy on everything. Mm-hmm. I want to eat like I want to eat bacon and eggs and and like a, a, a hearty stew or something like that's about the only way that I even crave vegetables. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's amazing. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I, I even even like a salad, like I see a salad. Um, I actually I, I bought a salad the other day um, because I was busy. And so I, I had a prepared salad and. I thought I was going to eat it. And then I, it stayed in the fridge for a couple of days. And finally I was like, Amy, can you eat this? Um, just looking at it makes me cold. Like, <laughs> so, um, I, but I didn't used to believe in seasonal eating because I was so used to just being able to eat fresh fruits and vegetables year round. Um, and now I, um, I have changed. I understand why people talk about <laughs> eating seasonally and eating local because, it, I honestly feel like our bodies adapt to that. And the temperature um, changes. And, and so like your body is trying to kind of like, maybe it's because you need more carbs and then because the temperature is colder, right? Like uh, my, uh, and same for me, like in Mexico, I had everything year round. Mm-hmm. I mean, minus like my May would be like, oh, what fruit, but yes, only like two months. But other than that, mm-hmm. I had everything. Right, mm-hmm. didn't even change. Actually, temperature done like it doesn't even change. It's roughly the same temperature year round, okay. right? So, what part of Mexico are you from? Again? Center. Um, okay. It's called Salamanca. Okay. Close to Mexico nice. City. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So I, I um I think it's fun to try the foods from different places. I I honestly, when I first heard of um poutine, I didn't understand why people would put put gravy on french fries and now like i don't even want french fries unless there's gravy (laughs) with it or something like that this is me talking about eating french fries and and i eat a lot more than i used to i'm (laughs) I'm gonna admit to that so yeah anyway um so you just got back from france speaking of trying um foods from other places and um you were there at the 24 hour world championships. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. correct? Okay. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about 
how that went and, and not just the race, but also just kind of the experience of traveling, uh, internationally to compete in a world championship. Yeah. Um, well, traveling wise, like it was my first race actually, uh, going like that far, right? Okay. <laughs> Racing. Cause I mean, half of my family, they're from Europe. So we used to oh. travel a lot. Like my mom's side, they're from Romania. Um, okay. but, um, but never racing. So uh, it was only like Mexico or like, you know, so there's just like one or two hours of difference. Actually, I think Montreal, that's two hours difference. So that's, that's as much as my body basically handled. Um, so I think, uh, flying there, like to France, it did take me a couple of days to adjust like my sleeping patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love sleeping. It's one of my, I probably, uh, my spouse says that that's actually my real hobby. Like it's like, I don't think that running is the thing you like the most. I think it's sleeping and he might be right. Right. Um, so I did feel like very tired the first two days, right. Even though like I made sure that I slept the whole time during my flight. I mean, it, it did take a bit of adjustment. Um, the language barrier was another thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think probably stressed me out the most. I have mm-hmm. never like been on, on my own without speaking the language where I am, right? Mm-hmm. So now I realized that English wasn't really helpful. Actually, people did not want to speak English. And mm-hmm. so I, it, it was a bit frustrating, which I think did increase my levels of stress is that, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I'm so used to do my own stuff. And now I had to rely, luckily my mom was there and my dad, oh, and okay. they both speak French. Uh, my nice. spouse, he also, I mean, he speaks pretty decent. I'm the one that's at zero, zero French, Yeah. which to me was like, great. Everyone speaks something. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> don't don't feel bad. I don't speak any French, and um, our our teenage daughters speak French, and Amy speaks French, and uh, I thought that knowing a Romance language or more, like I I can understand Portuguese and Italian and yes, and Spanish, but yes. but French doesn't sound or look anything <laughs> like Spanish. So if they speak slow, but very slow, I can infer. But they were speaking so fast, and I was like, well, I just. I'm not getting anything. So, uh, yeah. and then we finally got to Albi. That's where the uh, world championships were. And everything was closed. It was Wednesday and everything was closed. I did not find, like, for me to find choices of food that I actually liked. Like, it took mm-hmm. me, like, another extra day or so because I was like, okay, where do I go? Everything is closed. Mm-hmm. We're, like, you know, a decent kind of store or so, like, to buy stuff. And something I noticed is that I was um, thirsty every single day, which is so weird, right? Hmm. Uh, Later, I would find the explanation of why, but obviously that affected uh, my performance during the 24 hours. But Mm -hmm. I just, I was like, this is weird. But anyways, it was my first time traveling, you know, overseas. I thought maybe, you know, it's because I haven't been sleeping well, so and so. Uh, I ran there and it, my legs were fine that I knew, like I knew that my body, like training wise was at point, right? Like mm-hmm. I was, in fact, 
that first day I run and I was like super fast. It was like super light. And I think finally by Thursday, I kind of um, synchronized my sleeping and everything, which was uh, perfect. But obviously I was super nervous. Like, it's like, where is everything? Where, where am I going to race? Um, how's this going to look like? Um, I do have, like my parents were there, my sister arrived uh, before the race and my spouse was there. So, I mean, I was, I, I had a lot of help because my spouse is pretty good at keeping me, uh, pretty controlled, right? He's like, Oh, it's all going to, I'll take care <laughs> of everything. And he did actually. Um, and then I was like, okay, let's just figure out, uh, the water, right? Like what kind of water? And, and that's when I was, I had issues cause I, didn't know what kind of water I was supposed to buy to prep all my uh, water solution. And so, right. So um, to, huge mistake. And now that's what I tell after that I've learned. And I tell my clients, uh, at least in France, there's like 10 different types of water. Oh, wow. Know that with so it's not just, it's not just uh, like with carbonated or whatever, or, or spring water and, and no, not, no. Yeah. okay. No, which I hmm. did not know. Right. Yeah. Um, so then I bought the first, you know, gallon of water that looked non-carbonated. I never mm -hmm. even took the time to check whether there was a, a composition of the water, you know, cause here it's tap water mineralized water and that's it right yeah um, yeah <laughs> basically um and distillated water right so i was like okay it just looks like pretty decent and i i carried everything i had my gels i had my tailwind i had like everything uh mm -hmm. i the only thing i bought because i i like to drink uh fanta or orange crush mm -hmm. i had a hard time finding fanta there was there's okay. something orange flavor but it's not fanta <laughs> finally <laughs> i found fanta because i'm like i don't want to try something that is orangey i don't know it's yeah like, try to find products as similar as possible uh, and, and this is when you race or is yes, this just to settle your stomach race. that's for everything okay. prepping everything for the race um i finally yeah. found this restaurant that had like salads hamburgers and <laughs> sandwich and then i was like okay good i i found my place uh, mm -hmm. i found this bakery that the lady she was speaking spanish so that was nice because i was like yes yeah. i can order i don't need anyone to come with me like i i can be independent here right was it was it spanish from spain, from spain. or was it yes okay um yeah but still was like, i i've struggled even even when in spain i was like no, no, no. I like, I've lived in Latin America. I speak Spanish. And they looked at me like, no, you don't, you don't, we don't understand a word you're saying. It's like, Oh yeah. I don't understand a word you're saying either. <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah. it gets, it gets I, challenging. I noticed that because I was like, like I asked for like a pen, right. And in, in Mexico we say pluma, which is feather, mm -hmm. right. And then mm -hmm. in Spain they say, I don't even know. Or yes, something like that. Which or, I, <laughs> If you have a huge repertoire of words in Spanish, you'll understand them. But I find that they don't because I think in yeah. Mexico, we we've learned like both kind of like to okay. I mean, we know the meaning of the word. We, we won't use it. So I've noticed yeah. that they have a harder time to understand what we're saying because I was like, oh, yeah, like 
that's what you mean. Like, oh, okay. but, yeah. but yeah, she, but and, and in the end it was better than French. Right. So it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got this. Right. Uh, and then, uh, race day, like, oh my God, I was super nervous. Right. Like, like, oh, and then the bathrooms, the washrooms, it's one of those where you put your feet, you know, there's not mm-hmm. a real, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Oh my god where the race was or yeah, where the race or just was. Ju- no 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 where the wow. race was and then you had to press the flush and then you had to run pretty fast because then the water would flush the <laughs> so it's like this is going to be disgusting in a couple of hours and indeed that happened yeah. right yeah. and then but you know it's super it, it's amazing like i i was so excited like you know running and representing your country and and and, and you were representing mexico, mexico. Yes. Correct. Okay. Um, and it's 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 nice, right? Because you know, it felt to some extent like I, I felt pretty comfortable because then I had my Canadian friends and then also like mm-hmm. my Mexican group. So it was nice, actually. I enjoyed yeah. that a lot. And then my spouse, he was taking care of my whole nutrition and so, so he was in the tent. So then I felt very comfortable. And then my mom, my dad, and my sister, they were cheering me on the whole time. My that was really nice um nice. yeah it's actually it's nice right uh and that's the nice yeah. thing about this kind of races that you see them the whole time yeah um and it was on a track yes it was correct? on a track okay it was like 450 uh on the track and then an extra loop so it was like one point 1.5 case um, oh okay. yeah we would run um around basically like the whole like the complex like an extra okay. uh, couple of meters and then go back and then uh, get into the track, cross over tents where like the whole supporting team was uh, for every country. And then again, we would go out and then over and over. Right. So that was, and I was actually surprised of the huge amount of support of like French people, like people that were just there, just, just, just because. Right. Yeah. Like kids That's cool. Yes. Like I was like, oh my god. Like this is this is so cool. Right. They're just here to see us run over and over. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, endurance sports seem to appeal more to Europeans exactly. than to, <laughs> than to Americans, North, South, or Central. Super um, supported. They so. had, you know, their banners. They had like they were cheering on. They would like, you know, speak different languages, right? So it was, it was really nice, actually. Um, and then I raced well, right? Like I, I, I felt uh, like the easiest day to me. It felt like I was surprised of how well I was running. And I was like, whoa, I'm going a bit faster. Uh, but I felt great until approximately the six hours, six and a half that I started to feel like I have, I was having stomach issues, but not the regular stomach issue. I felt like the way I described it, it was like, as if someone would be stabbing me on my, like in my stomach. Right. Oh, man. Like it felt mm-hmm. like a knife. And at some point I remember uh, telling uh, Omar, my spouse, I feel that my stomach is super inflamed because my sports bra is just not feel it's, it's bugging me, right? It's Mm -hmm. pressing my stomach and it's just causing a lot of pain. Right. And he was like, okay, let's just change the sports bra. Maybe, I don't know. He's like, well, let's just do that. 
And I was like, no, I'm like getting inflamed more and more. And then the pain was increasing, right? And I was like, what in earth is wrong with this, right? This is the mm -hmm. water. This is the, you know, density that I've used the whole time, the gels. Like, I just don't get it, right? The temperature increased, but nothing that I... I enjoyed it actually because we we had sponges, so I was fine. Um, mm -hmm. And then, and it was pretty warm when you ran the championship oh, in, Mexico in Mexico to qualify yeah, for this, right? It was in, very hot. Oh, in Mexico, right? it was thirty six, and now it was only like twenty Celsius. Yes, right? thirty six Celsius, yeah, yeah. and now it yeah. was only like twenty four, twenty two. So that's that's my comfortable temperature. It's my happy temperature. So I I know. I mean, my stomach issues were not caused by um, the temperature. Then I started to drink. I was. I told my spouse, let's just switch to Fanta. Maybe that'll mm -hmm. do. And actually, it did work um, mm -hmm. for a while till I noticed that I was that I was having like more like back pain, like kidney, mm -hmm. more like pain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is this is not okay. I kept running. Um, it felt like the easiest 80k run ever. Like mm -hmm. I was actually shocked. It was like, Oof, my feet, my legs feel like phenomenal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, you were super fit. Oh, it was fun to see your training in the build-up. <laughs> the legs were like fresh, like phenomenal. Like I don't mm -hmm. think, and even my spouse was like, oh, that's 80k's. Woof. That, that, you know, <laughs> you running like this he's like i actually felt jealous like he's like i he's like i so should start training with you <laughs> like, yeah you should um so anyways around the 90k the pain was unbearable and my stomach it was just like okay and i stopped drinking fanta because i was like this is not healthy like i can't keep drinking like 12 hours Pop. Oh, Fanta. Yeah. What What do you typically drink, I drink uh, when tailwind. you're not drinking Fanta? Um, okay. Tailwind, and I use also gels like my Huma gels, the ones that have chia. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I've been using some. That they're called uh, Muir. It's another kind of type of gel. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's what I used, right? And that's what I've been using for like years. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, and and my Fanta, right? But now I noticed I had to start drinking way too soon, which I know that doesn't, it's not the healthiest approach. And around the ninety-five k mark, that's when uh, my spouse was like, oh, "When was the last time you peed?" And I was like, "Well, probably six hours, seven hours ago." That's when mm -hmm. I started to get concerned, and the pain was pretty bad. So actually, I stopped enjoying running. Remember, at mm -hmm. some point, I, I told uh, my spouse, I hate running. <laughs> and then it's like, this is not okay. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I just, this is so weird. I power walked and around the 105K, which was at the 10 hours and something. And I took breaks because I was like, maybe if I lay down on my stomach, that will push everything out. I don't know. I was like, either I puke or I don't. I did not puke. Uh, I almost pulled a rib because I tried to puke. And it, it clearly that was not the solution. So I was like, okay, I guess I won't puke. Um, mm -hmm. And then at the 108K, I had to call it a day because I was not peeing. I was retaining liquids. I was not. You know, I really questioned whether it was safe. 
continue. Mm -hmm. And like my judgment was that it wasn't right. Not in a place that I don't know, you know, whether there's a good hospital, like probably if this would have been like here in Canada, I would not have been that cautious, but Mm -hmm. being overseas. And so I was like, I just don't, don't feel like, risking it not <laughs> yeah you, you don't want to be in a foreign hospital or have to pay yeah. out of pocket <laughs> for medical care so, for, for, for a self-inflicted wound that's what um, I thought right uh and then yeah. and that was so then I was done pretty early and and I wasn't okay I drank water and that's when I started to puke at once I got to the hotel and that's when I was like wait a minute oh and something that my spouse uh told me he was like you know what? He's like, there's some. I think there's something wrong with the water. He's like, because I was drinking all your um, leftovers, and he's mm-hmm. like, and my stomach was hurting. <laughs> and mm. I was like, your stomach was hurting because he's one of those that could eat rocks and be fine. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And then I woke up on Sunday, which my legs were feeling great. I was like, wait, it was in the training, right? And I went to the store and that's when I realized that there are 10, at least 10 different types of water. Well, yes. And the mineral content, including calcium, it's quite high in some, specifically the one that I bought. And that's when it kind of everything clicks, right? Because your calcium, (laughs) too much calcium. I mean, and that's the thing, maybe if we would have raised for I would have raced for like three, four hours, I probably wouldn't have noticed, but Mm -hmm. maybe because it was too much, um, at certain point, it was too much calcium, um, that could, you know, increase the production of chloridic acid in your stomach. And that would explain Mm -hmm. the huge amount of pain that I'm not even familiarized with because I don't have stomach issues. Like I never even have like, you know, inflammation or anything like that. Right. So that's when I realized that it was very likely the water what caused, uh, you know, all that pain and issues. And so, so mm-hmm. I've learned a lesson to kind of check the water composition, mm-hmm. even though, you know, you read the labels of the juice, you read, you read the labels of the pop, you read, but I've never. You just assume it's water. Yeah. That, that was <laughs> Water's water. Exactly. Yeah. That was my assumption. And, 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 and you yeah. know, unfortunately that was not the right assumption right and and then i you know i got a bit upset because i was like man i failed in exactly what's always been my forte right like the nutrition and so but then you know i i did not know right so now i've learned now i tell people hey yeah you know if you go to another country that you're not familiarized because i think united states mexico canada it's pretty much the same right Mm-hmm. But maybe in other countries they do the same. I I, I don't know. Um, so that was basically the lesson I've learned. Like yeah. you gotta check yeah. every single detail, and and well, lesson learned, right? Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you mentioning that because um, there's actually uh, an electrolyte drink that a mix that I have tried to use on multiple occasions. And, um, you know, it's supposed to have a ton of electrolytes, but one of those electrolytes is calcium. Mm -hmm. And I understand the benefits of calcium, but it, it always like, whether I have it before or during, I I haven't had a single run when I've tried to use that specific mix 
that it doesn't upset my stomach. Okay. It, it doesn't upset other people's stomachs. And, and I think it, it, it's designed for more cyclists and triathletes. Uh-huh. And so I think it, maybe it's fine if you're seated yeah, <laughs> and you're consuming it, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but for me and, and I, at least most of my life, I've been more like your husband in terms of like, I can eat rocks. Yeah. <laughs> like I have a, I have a pretty, um, I, I, I haven't had too many issues. Yeah. I haven't had too many issues. I can just eat whatever looks good in a race and I don't have to worry about it. Um, but that particularly, or that particular electrolyte drink that sometimes I've, I've had on course, or sometimes I've even purchased it because of the electrolyte content thinking, Oh, I'm going to figure out how to use this every single time. It, it's been negative. And that's the only explanation that I can come up with is that it's one of the few electrolyte drinks that I found that at least has calcium or has that high mm-hmm. concentration of calcium yeah. so yeah. And I, I appreciate that, you mentioning um, that so not tolerant right like like and everyone is like different right but maybe there's some like you know some people are you know their stomach just works great because you know it's just they're less sensitive right but for some of us like let's say maybe your uh, stomach is quite sensitive uh to calcium right um, also calcium can affect like the different channels when it comes to muscle contraction. And so, so mm-hmm. yeah, like it might not work. And in this case, I basically, I think I ended up with a rich calcium, <laughs> um, <laughs> solution without mm-hmm. even planning for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's certainly a place for calcium in our diets. It's just sometimes if, if what you're trying to put in your body is jet fuel, yes. you don't want to put uh, diesel in it, uh, it, you know, or, or ethanol, you know, even, (laughs) even if there are other reasons for that, it's just like, no, I just want, I want whatever's like the most uh, refined possible (laughs) to get right into my blood. That's how I work. Um, Whereas other people want some for like long runs. I don't, I don't even use, for example, branching amino acid because it upsets my stomach. Right. Mm -hmm. So I basically live on pure sugar, the whole time that seems to work right um mm-hmm. but yeah this time <laughs> with a bit of calcium but lesson learned yeah right? what about what about sodium um it, it, some we actually had a, a a mutual friend of ours write in uh, wondering about fueling for a 24-hour event um but I, I i think we can speak specifically on 24-hour events but but as we're speaking of of these electrolytes what about sodium i know that's somewhat of a controversial um topic some people say you can and should supplement with sodium others say you know at least Americans, North, South, Central, uh, consume enough uh, uh, sodium in their in their daily diets as is that they shouldn't need to worry about replacing it um, while they're exercising. What's what's your view based on you know your research and experience? Uh, yes, uh, you know it it depends, right? So what I what I always tell my clients is there's some people that will need sodium and some people that really don't need it right uh your the amount of sodium that you'll be sweating it's really independent of your sodium consumption right uh also only five percent of the population in this world will be sodium sensitive like diet sodium sensitive right so that's when we could see maybe that five percent uh whatever they eat uh you know will will affect their outcome when it comes to racing 
right? Okay. Um, most of us will not really need um, sodium. You technically don't need sodium for a short period of time. Let's say if you are racing for up to nine to 10 hours, mm -hmm. you have that, I mean, your body is smart enough to adjust uh, the sodium uh, channels and everything, right? Uh, just so people kind of know uh, the average electrolyte that you lose in, in 300 mils of sweat, give or take, you lose to 20 uh, so, uh, mg's of sodium, 220. Okay. That's the average. Here we're going to have those people that sweat super uh, salty. If those people mm -hmm. have the flakes, right? Mm -hmm. For those people, that's when I suggest um, a higher sodium formula, right? Okay. Um, for cyclists, for example, um, I always, they can use those very aggressive products. For example, uh, Scratch has a hyper electrolyte formula, which works for cyclists. But sodium, excess of sodium could affect your stomach too. Yeah. Right? Okay. So if it affects your stomach, then uh, then don't take it. Take the, the regular formula because almost all the formulas will have sodium, right? But the main reason why we have sodium in our solutions is because sodium uh, will um, speed up the absorption of glucose, for example, right? So okay. sodium and glucose through co-transport will be mo like faster available in your system. That's why I tell people when you're trying, when you're starting to get fatigued, have sodium and glucose together because that will speed up the energy availability, right? So let's say instead, if you would eat just, let's say pure glucose, right? You just grab just glucose. Um, mm -hmm your body through the whole different biochemical uh, pathways will be able to, you know, restore the glycogen. And so in a cup in like 30 minutes, give or, give or take, if you slow down your pace, but mm -hmm. if you use sodium and glucose, that will take like 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, okay. That's the main advantage of sodium. It's the culture of taking sodium with, okay. Yes. With the glucose. Exactly. It's not so much the electrolyte imbalance. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's that extra help because, because if you're using co-transport, you're not also fatiguing your, um, your small intestine, right? You're not saturating your small intestine, which comes helpful when you're racing, uh, long distances, you know, plus 10 hours, because, uh, you'll saturate your different absorption mechanisms at some point. You need to give a little break to okay. your body. So that's why I tell pe people sodium and glucose. But technically, you should not have any kind of electrolyte imbalance, right? Um, okay. If you're healthy. And that's for nine to ten hours. Yes. Um, and but then when it becomes a, a twenty-four hour yeah. race or a, a hundred mile race or, or something like that. And then the last issue, the reason why we like electrolytes for like longer races, is to uh, prevent the dilution of your. Uh, of the level of sodium and potassium in your bloodstream, right? Which yeah. uh, can, can cause hyponatremia, right? Which is one of the reasons we yeah. tell people do not over drink when it comes to pure water, right? Don't, mm -hmm. don't drink just pure water because there's that risk. Yeah. Okay. 
and um, that's that's all really very helpful. Um, we had a, another question that um, that's related to diet, but also um, I think may have been addressed in part to my brother who we just interviewed as well. Um, so these questions came in as questions to ask both of you. Um, but this is, um, it's a three-part question. It says, what would you recommend for the athlete dealing with small but repeated injuries that are running specific? What is the most appropriate therapy and can diet help? So if, if someone is, is injury prone, what are some things that they could do in their diet to to address any deficiencies or, or weaknesses that, that seem to be leading to injury. Yeah. I mean, and, and it depends on the type of injuries, for example, stress fractures, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the main things that I've, that we've seen here in Alberta, it's that uh, the reason number one of stress fractures will be the vitamin D deficiency, right? Okay. So um, I tell my clients starting, you know, uh, October, September to like March, April, depending on how the winter is looking, start with your vitamin D supplementation, right? Because it doesn't okay. matter how much calcium you eat. If there's not enough vitamin D, you're not going anywhere. You can't have that bone recruit, right? So that's the first thing. Uh, check the calcium, right? Uh, your calcium intake, especially female, right? Uh, females, mm -hmm. but also about men, obviously. Um, protein amount. How much protein are you eating, right? Like if you are having continuous like injuries, muscle related, uh, maybe you're not eating enough protein. Maybe you are not eating like your timing. It's not appropriate, right? We I always remind my clients about that 30 minutes at the metabolic window after you're done training. Make sure that you're recovering, that you eat and fuel your body. So have a mixture of carbs and protein, carbs to provide energy to your body and protein to rebuild and, you know, help your body to heal the muscle that has been damaged, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where most of the people uh, fail, not enough protein or the timing. They just finish training. They just totally forget about, you know, they're they just start doing other stuff. And you're just missing that window, right? Um, mm -hmm. Hydration. That's the other thing I check with uh, clients when, when, when they are getting constantly injured. Because if you're dehydrated, you are more prone to injuries, right? Um, mm -hmm. Check your levels of hydration. Are you drinking enough water? Maybe you forget, let's say here in, in, in cold water kind of places. Maybe you forget to drink water because you're cold. And then you're, you shower or you do, you know, you change your clothes and, stuff, and then you forget about drinking water because it happens, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then if you're dehydrated, you're really increasing your risk of getting injured. Um, also iron, right? If you have low levels of iron, there's not, you can't transport the oxygen properly. That could potentially lead to a higher risk for uh, injury development, right? Because your muscles are not strong, they're not oxygenated. So indirectly, you could increase your risk of getting injured. So those are um, kind of like the things that I would just check with my clients, calcium, vitamin D, iron, uh, the amount of protein, 
and check your lab work, right? Like you're, you, that's the first thing where whenever uh, they have like a checkup, Let's just mm -hmm. see what your body's saying, mm -hmm. right? If you're, let's say, female, if your iron levels are slowly decreasing, yes, you could be within the normal range, but your trend, like, shows that you're slowly uh, decreasing what's normal for your body. So let's just address mm -hmm. it before something happens, right? Antioxidants, too, like vitamin K, A, E, D, 2, uh, well, D, we already talked about because of the fractures, but also vitamin mm -hmm. A, it's a strong antioxidant. Let's not forget every time you train hard, there is a state of pro-oxidation in the immediate kind of couple of hours. So you're mm -hmm. damaging a little bit your body, damaging, like, you know, from a cellular perspective. So here mm -hmm. is when vitamin um, A, for example, becomes helpful. So healthy nutrition in general, fruits, vegetables right um yeah that's basically it do you do you recommend that people take a multivitamin or that they supplement with each of those different vitamins separately depending on their needs or how is that do you have a general recommendation or or do you do it on a, a case by case yeah, but, person by person basis based on their lab work uh, i generally ask them like how's your food intake for people mm -hmm. that live in let's say Alberta, I would say vitamin D, I strongly suggest you to take a vitamin D supplement, right? Either it's the okay. drops or like whatever type of supplement you like. And then I'll check if they're eating enough calcium. If they're not, which most of us don't, right? Um, let's mm -hmm. then just, you know, I suggest a vitamin D and calcium supplement. And then all the others, depending on the lab work. And generally, patients know, uh, clients know whether they, their, their, their levels, I mean, they, they sort of have an idea. Like female, for example, I think my iron is going low. Okay, so if you think that mm -hmm. that's happening, let's just uh, take um, a multivitamin supplement, right? Um, I'm a huge fan of just pure nutrition, like healthy food. But I'm mm -hmm. very aware, for example, here in Edmonton, that we don't get enough sun exposure. So, yeah. right. So as much as I would love to, and just so people kind of have an idea, um, supplements will provide uh, 1,000 international units, give or take. 10 minutes okay. of sun exposure are about 15 international units, 15,000 15, international units. Oh, well, so, okay. And there's no toxicity. So being outside is a good thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's literally no toxicity for if you're getting your uh, vitamin D through sun exposure. Mm -hmm. um, through supplements, there is an upper limit, right? So you can't, you know, I'm just going to super... Uh, eat like vitamin D? No, you can't, right? Uh, I would say don't go yeah. up, don't go above two thousand international units. But when it comes to sun exposure, you only need ten minutes to get enough um, sun. Unfortunately, in winter, yeah. because of the UV rays, there's not enough absorption. Mm -hmm. So there's really nothing we can do but to supplement. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's that's really helpful because you know you you hear a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, self-named or self-proclaimed experts out there, um, kind of 
sharing their diet advice, um, which everyone has a right to do, but it's, it's helpful to hear from someone who has actually done the research, um, and not just the propaganda, but you, you've actually, you know, studied (laughs) and, and experienced for yourself. So I appreciate that. Um, another question from this, the same listener, um, she asks, how do we balance nutrition to lose weight while fueling appropriate appropriately for training? And this is, this is a, a pretty hot topic right now in, in the sport, uh, of running in particular, and, and, and particularly among elite women athletes. But, um, I would say it's trending, but it's, it's been a topic <laughs> that, that needs to be discussed. Yeah forever. And, and it's finally just getting the attention that it deserves. But, um, so how do we balance nutrition to lose weight while fueling appropriately for training? Generally, let's just, we could, we could have an entire podcast just on that, but, um, <laughs> um well, first thing I, I tell my clients, uh, low body weight doesn't correlate always with a better performance right? Okay. Uh, the fact that you lost a couple of pounds, and so it doesn't mean that you're going to run faster. So there's a different case scenarios. Like if, if a runner is like a bit overweight, and let's say for healthy reasons, that's maybe why they started to run. And so, uh, well, then, you know, you, you your main focus would be to uh, this person to lose weight. Let's say they have problems with their glucose and abnormal lipid profile, when then obviously we have to modify the diet and, you know, uh, work through some weight loss. But what I always tell them, we don't want to sacrifice the quality. So having said that, if you're going to go for a long run, you have to fuel your body, it, like having enough carbs, having enough protein, especially that day. We're not going to risk the post-recovery nutrition and we have to make sure that you're meeting your daily value your percentage of daily value of certain types of macronutrients right if we are not then that just means that you need to supplement right or adjust the diet because if let's say there's some people that will start with a 1200 kilocalorie or 1000 calorie meal plan clearly you won't meet your uh, micronutrients like vitamin, minerals, uh, requirements for like a healthy body, right? So then you're sacrificing uh, your well-being. Having said that, let's say in this case, someone then we have to push your uh, intake to something higher, 1500, 1600, right? So you meet your requirements so you can be healthy. And then we, it's better to adjust the training to lose weight, I suppose, as sacrificing quality. We never sacrifice quality, never, uh, ever. And what I tell people, if, and, and, and you know, generally we can find why they're not losing weight. Like maybe they eat too much, like, you know, not real food afterwards. Generally, mm-hmm. you can find that. Like I, I would say 85% of the cases, uh, if you check their whole like food intake, they that you can find what's preventing them from losing weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's those, for example, uh, in semi-elite and elite athletes, if on their attempt to lose weight, they're sacrificing nutrition, 
uh, then that's, that's that's that can happen. You're gonna end up injured. You're gonna end up with a yeah. stress fracture. You're gonna. End, I, I I don't see how you just don't do it. So basically, you don't sacrifice quality. You check the calorie content, the calorie amount. You check what you think. Of paying attention and what do I do when I'm not eating per se? Do I always grab and eat the donuts in the office? Do I always like you know grab those cookies? Do I eat, you know? Generally, that's where people could actually lose weight, and you're not really sacrificing uh, your 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 quality. It's when your numbers are super low. Let's say we can't go any lower. That it, once you reach that point, then you you should not go any lower. You could lose weight, yes, but you also have mm-hmm. muscle, and that's when your performance will be uh, affected. And and we've seen it with athletes. We've seen even like Olympic athletes, how on their attempt to just reach an unreasonable weight, they just, that was the end of their running career. Mm-hmm. Like, um, One example that I like, um, who who's a male, who I look up to a lot, um, is yeah, Ryan Hall. I, I, I know there's yes. been a lot. There, there's been a lot of talk about Mary Kane and, and, and just a lot of, a lot of female athletes, but, but I think Ryan Hall is a really good example because, um, he, he basically had to just quit running in large part because he just ran himself into the ground. And part of that was with kind of an obsession with weight. And, um, and he said that, you know, he, he usually, his lowest weight was like 10 pounds lighter than when he was racing his best, but he, he was under that. He 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 believed that if he could get lighter, and therefore look closer to what his competitors looked like. I mean, he he was usually the only Caucasian guy <laughs> in the front pack, and I mean, and and looked quite a bit bigger and and blonde, you know, flowing hair and stuff. Um, but but he said that um, I've heard him talk about it a couple times. You know, his ideal racing weight was usually. 10 or 12 pounds more than what his lowest weight was. And he got so low toward the end of his career, trying to just, you know, uh, leave no stone unturned that in fact, he, he probably cut his career short, um, by at least one Olympics. And, um, and that's not just, that's not just the longevity of his career. I mean, that's, that's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that he could have earned just in that next Olympic cycle. Um, he was one of the few <laughs> American males that was actually getting paid appearance money during oh. that era um, to run. I mean, so he was making more just to show up at big races than to even finish them. Yeah. Um, he, he, he did fine. So I, I don't feel bad for him on that end. I just feel bad that, you know, he was, he was leading our generation of at least mm-hmm. American males. And, and I, I think if he, if he could have just stayed at his ideal racing weight or fluctuated and, and gotten back down to that when he raced, um, rather than trying to go 10 pounds lighter, uh, he'd probably still be competing for a spot at this Olympics. So he missed out on the last one and probably like he, so he probably could have gotten two more Olympics out of it. And, um, I mean, we're not, we're not buddies, but I know him personally and, and he's, he's one of the most genuine kind hearted people I've ever met in my life. And so in part, I, it's, it's not just sad for the sport. It's sad for him as a, as a person. And, um, 
you know, he's, he had to turn to weightlifting just to get his testosterone levels back up. Like, like his endocrine system got, got so messed up by, uh, by trying to lose so much weight. And and you know, that's something we've seen it. It's not so obvious with men and that's the the danger when it comes to uh, male athletes. Uh, We as women, uh, you're going to stop having your period, right? So that just tells you something is really wrong. But uh, and and there's clearly like a hormonal imbalance, which is just totally unhealthy. But it exactly happens with men, right? It's just Mm -hmm. it's it's not as obvious. But one of Mm -hmm. the problems when you're losing too much weight, when 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 it's unrealistic uh, to what your your somatotype basically is, right? And let's not forget we're like you know we're Latinos, we're Caucasians, uh, or we're we kind of look different than people from. Um, Africa, right? I mean, it's a totally different continent, totally different water. That's something I think we have to start to understand. We will never... Well, even on that continent, people in West Africa look different than people in East Africa and people in North Africa look different than people in South Africa. That's what I tell people. South African uh, swimmers, for example, they're strong, huge, like huge backs and like, you know, like like a swimmer. So it all depends Mm -hmm. on where you're located. Like they're, they're... we, we're not going to look like them. We we are not them. We don't even, like, it's not the same temperature. We don't even eat the same. Um, we can't look the same, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you've probably, if you pay close attention, uh, their body composition, like, especially in female, um, their body composition doesn't look like it's been forced to look certain way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it you know they that you can see how they have the necessary amount of body fat percentage like it's it's like the body that's their natural body composition and on the mm-hmm. other hand i've seen uh female runners that have lost so much weight and it it, it looks like the, the your their body's not happy it's it, it it's hard to kind of explain it but once you see it and you close attention you'll see what i'm talking about it almost feels like the body's struggling to maintain that weight while for like african runners that's 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 how they are right mm-hmm. and same in men like it is exactly the same so if your hormone ba- levels um change that's just a, you're not doing the right thing and 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 that's why i address always with my clients Let's just pay attention to the early signs of overtraining because nutrition uh, ties like always there. If you are always upset, if you feel like you you're like grumpy, if your period has changed, if you don't feel the same energy, um, this is not normal, right? Your mood should not yeah. be affected. You shouldn't be upset about everything. Well, maybe if if that's not your normal, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's when you have to, the nutrition should be, um, you should be able to uh, fuel your body. It's, it's basic. It all relies on fueling your body, right? It, you, mm-hmm. you don't deprive your body. You don't ask your body for an effort and then just take away. If you want to lose weight, let's do it a healthy way. And that's when you have to calculate and do the numbers for what, what, what works for every person, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you can't, like, but yeah, don't, don't, don't force it. Well, and, and just like, um, just like running times and, and fitness, like race readiness, uh, 
we don't necessarily always have to be at the exact same weight. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay if <laughs> if our weight fluctuates. In fact, um, when I was in in university, um, I, I ran in for us for a university out in Hawaii and our coach used to make us weigh ourselves before we, before practice and after practice. And in part, just to, so that we could see how much, how much body weight we were losing just through water water weight. So on a, on a daily basis, just be, just in our evening practice. So this is after I had already run for an hour plus in the morning, (laughs) just between like 3 PM and 5 PM, I would lose between eight and 12 pounds. And, and then I would spend the next 24 hours trying to replenish that, you know, uh, usually the next, you know, 30 minutes or hour. And actually in the last episode, my brother talked about, uh, that our team was sponsored by a local dairy. And so that's when the whole chocolate milk study came out and our coach would, um, encourage us to, to just chug whole chocolate (laughs) milk after, after runs. But, um, I think it was in part that we were lactose intolerant, but also that it was like whole heavy, rich chocolate milk after basically like eliminating <laughs> all the saliva and any ability to digest any of that. Cause we were so dehydrated that like, it was like the worst thing that we could put in our bodies. So, um, in a, in a non, uh, I don't remember ever intentionally trying to um, remove it from my body. It usually just made its way back out, um, in short order because it just felt so uncomfortable in there. So, um, but, uh, it, we can lose quite a bit of weight if we're, if we're training hard and, and, and it really is a balance, you know, between like the volume of training, the intensity of training and the amount of calories and the quality of those calories. And, and it, but it's okay for that to fluctuate. And I think that's important for people to hear. Um, and if they are going to obsess about their weight or think that they need to be exactly, you know, 160 pounds or whatever their ideal weight is, um, that's probably not very healthy. Um, and, and so I, I don't even get on a scale. I don't remember the last time I did. I I think, I think the last time I got on a scale was when I was getting a driver's license (laughs) and they like, or at a doctor's appointment, but like, I usually don't even know what my weight is. Um, and it, because I don't want that to mess with my head. It's just like, if I'm doing the training and I'm eating appropriately, I I'm going to show up at the line. And that's one less thing to like one less doubt to be in my mind. Like, Oh, you weigh one pound less than you did the last time you ran your best. So are you really going to be able to do it? It's just like, who cares? Just show up and race. So. And, and, and muscle composition, like uh, body fat yeah. percentage, like my weight has probably been the same since I was in high school, right? Like, since I was like 17, but I don't look the same. Like I'm smaller, like, and then you change also through your lifespan, right? And and it's because Mm -hmm. you develop more muscle, you have more muscle, you have less body fat. Like, so is the weight, it's just a number, right? Uh, It's more important to check how much muscle do you have? Like your fitness test, like, are you, you know, if maybe you've gained one pound, but you're running faster, for example, oh, who cares, right? Like, or yeah. there's more muscle. I mean, yeah, of course you're going to be heavier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're healthier. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my approach. You you mentioned something back there as well um, about, you know, if, if you're 
uh, one way to identify overtraining is if, if you're not enjoying the training or if you're just kind of moody and cranky and, and irritable, um, a guy that I worked for before, uh, by the name of Greg, Greg McMillan, um, when he was coaching, like he had his own elite team called McMillan elite, uh, of kind of Olympic development athletes. He used to try and crack like dad jokes before a workout. And he, he said that, you know, if, if everyone was healthy or if, or if his athletes were healthy, they would even laugh at his, you know, kind of cheesy dad jokes. But, um, if they, if they were too serious for too many days in a row, he would usually say, you know, we're going to don't do your, don't do your second run of the day, go to the burger joint and get a burger and fries and stuff like that. Like you need to get some fat and some protein into your, into your body. And, and I actually had to tell that to, um, one of my athletes that, that is primarily plant-based, uh, not for religious or really even necessarily ethical or moral reasons. Just, it was an attempt to try and be healthy. And, and I just had, I had to say, you know, you're, you've been putting in a lot of volume and so let's back off on the volume, but probably the quickest way to get your, (laughs) your levels back up is to just go eat what you're craving, which is fat and protein and salt and do that for a couple of days. And, and she bounced back like right away. Um, and, and, and that's and, I, and it just brings us back to what I tell people, listen to your body. What is your body trying yeah. to tell you? Like, I think we've really lost that connection. Like, okay. Like if your body's telling you like, you know, I need, like I'm craving saltiness. Okay. Maybe you, you need some sodium. Like it all goes back to listening, right? Uh, some have been craving this. Your body's quite smart. There is a, there is a reason why your body is just trying to talk to you, right? Um, and like you say, like just if you're having all those cravings, that means that you're just just your body needs a little bit more. Doesn't mean that if you are craving for, you know, something sweet that you have to eat like a whole bunch of like donuts or so. Oh yeah, I'm like your body told you your body wants carbs. <laughs> what healthy choice you yeah. do or not? that's that's yeah. that's you interpreting uh, your body's language right um yeah exactly right? so, well and and just knowing that there are options exactly. so it doesn't have to be a donut just because just because you're close to a tim hortons doesn't exactly. mean you have to get timbits you could you know even if you're going to go to tim hortons you could you could order some something that's not quite as, <laughs> as uh, unhealthy or refined <laughs> yeah yeah or you can just go down the road to the grocery store and get yeah. get some fruit exactly. rather than the timbits so yeah great um before we wind down um you know there are a lot of different diets even amongst endurance athletes and and sometimes those are extreme diets and and that i don't say that in any attempt to try and polarize people or or take a side but but there are some you know there's keto or fat adapted then there's paleo and then on the other end of the continuum there's plant-based um and then obviously there's there's quite a bit in between but um what do you recommend for people who uh, for religious or for ethical or moral purposes, or even just because a certain way of eating makes them feel good. What do you recommend, um, that they do to ensure that they're still getting all the nutrients that they need to fuel their training sustainably, not just in the short term, but in the long term. like it's one thing if they're just trying to lose weight, but, but 
I, my goal, and I know your goal is, <laughs> is for to help people establish healthy habits so that in part, so that our, our services aren't even necessary, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. teach them how to listen exactly. to their own bodies exactly. and figure out how, how to, how to be healthy. Uh-huh. Um, so, so what, what are some maybe just general, um, advice or, or if there are, or if there are some tips for people with specific, um, diet choices, what, what do you recommend, um, so that people get what they need? Uh, I always go back to the lab work, right? So, um, okay. If like, like before you start, like, uh, you know, for example, I'll just talk, like give an example, like keto diet, right? Um, Let's just make sure before you start that this is actually a meal plan that works for you, right? That you're healthy to follow that meal plan, um, which doesn't mean a, 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 like a, 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 I like keto diet, but let's just say that someone chooses and then they decide to do it. The first thing you have to check your lab work, like, are you healthy? Like, is your kidney healthy? Uh, how about your liver profile and so, right? Um, let's say someone is super healthy, no issues, no kidney problems, no liver issues, it's all good to go, and decides to do um, follow like a keto kind of um, diet, keto plan. I always tell them to uh, keep a notebook, keep something, keep up of how you're feeling. Right, like, oh, I'm feeling this. Like, I and I know, like, it sounds like boring or not very interesting, but your notes that's what will allow you to observe changes or if something is off, right? And after a certain period of time, let's say if you're in one of those very different diets or drastically different to what you are used to do, go again and see your physician and get some lab work done because if something is abnormal, then you are on time and you can fix it. If let's yeah. say someone is like, uh, let's say, let's just say someone that it's eating a huge amount of protein and thought was healthy. And so, and then, then decides to go and see their physician. And what if your kidney, um, if your uh, filtration rate is just a little bit affected, right? Well, you're on time to correct it. Clearly this meal plan does not work for you. And then we just have to, you know, see what's causing it. Right. Um, and those kind of stuff, like the lab work, I always tell them, we don't really know because everything else will be subjective to some extent. It's the lab mm-hmm. work. What gives you the numbers that we just make sure, okay, you're healthy. No, you're not. Uh, this is what could be happening. Same for overtraining. Like if they order, if, if you order like, um, like a panel that includes hormones and, you know, liver enzymes and so you can see if something is abnormal and suspect they're overtrained, right? So uh, based on lab parameters and and other questions and and so on. So, but for diet, go back to your lab work, ask your physician and, 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 you know, it's it's your own health. So the more, you know, Mm -hmm. the more numbers you have without being all obsessed, right? Because yeah. Yeah, you had a little bit more triglycerides than last time. If it is within the normal ranges and within your trend, what you usually look like, then we're good, right? So it's 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 lab work. I I rely a lot on on lab work because everything else hmm, could be a little bit subjective. And bottom line, if you don't feel right, then just just stop doing it. If you're following a super low carb diet and you feel that your head is about to explode, well, don't do that to yourself. There's, there's a little adjustment yeah. that we can do. Like, 
and don't do drastic changes slowly but be kind to your body like don't hate your body like it, just make sure that you're fueling your body whatever choice whatever diet you decide to follow and 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 ask for help right if you if you are unsure about something uh you know ask people that can give you like you know a scientific answer and not just don't just google that's the other thing yeah that's great um well, we really appreciate you you taking this time and sharing your expertise. Uh, in addition to to diet, are there things um, that people, uh, as far as training goes, are there things that they can do that will be better for their long term health training wise? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's just that gradual. <laughs> in the same way that when you introduce a stimulus uh, or or a new food or re- remove a food. Um, from your diet, uh, we try and do that with training, but are, are there certain things, um, that you recommend or that you do in your own training that, that you think will be beneficial for, for a general population? Um, should there, should people include strength training? Should they include cross training? Um, you know, this is primarily a running group, but what are some things that you do to increase durability and the sustainability of your health, long-term health? Uh, strength training is super important. Uh, I, I've just noticed that as soon as I you know, stop doing it, because I think as runners, that's the first thing we probably will uh, neglect. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, uh, do I do my long run or do I do strength training? I know my long run, right? So um, so strength training, like I've, I've learned not to drop the ball when it comes to strength training to uh, exercises that keeps your hips healthy, like the videos that you've uh, posted several times, like hips. I think that's one of the main issues that we as long runners will suffer from, like hip injuries and mm-hmm. that area related. So that's something that I, I, I've been doing it for, I would say two years, like my hip exercises, my strength training and in cross training. I'm one of those that can't run six days per week, like, or six, six, yeah. six days. Um, okay. But I rely a lot on cross training. Like I do like, so I, and that's because Eric obviously has helped me to build like the double sessions mm-hmm. uh, running, for example, uh, in the morning and then swimming uh, second uh, time of the day. Uh, but mm-hmm. I cross train like a lot, and I think especially in like off season, that's that's important. You need to change your muscles, the group of muscles that you've been like not that you have not been using. So for cross train, and and I tell people cross training is helpful if you do it properly, right? Uh, depending mm-hmm. on the purpose of your cross training, um, but. Maybe there's a sport that you're good at. So let's say Nordic skiing. Maybe if someone enjoys that, well, then that's the perfect time uh, to put time on your feet, right? Instead of running that much, especially during off season. Uh, in my case, swimming, uh, that's the sport that I just feel very comfortable. And I actually, uh, during off season, like I, I compete, right? I take it serious. Mm-hmm. I, um, I train with the team. I do my intervals. Like that also keeps me motivated and not feeling like I have to 
what am I going to do now? Because I'm not training that hard. Well, I am. It's just without impact. And and I yeah. find that the pool really helps me, not just to, um, it kind of helps me to stretch my hips, my shoulders, and so, but also my lung capacity, right? We train a lot, uh, like underwater and so, and I find that that really helps when it comes to pushing, when it comes to running. Mm-hmm. So I would say cross training and, and strength training, uh, and, and pick the cycling, for example, that's another good cross training that I, that I do in summer with my spouse because he loves um, cycling. So then mm-hmm. we just, and it's a nice time to put some distance uh, without pounding your feet. And, and, yeah, to just be out there in the, <laughs> in el aire libre, um, in the fresh air. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't, I couldn't even remember how to say it in English, but, um, yeah, I, sometimes it's, uh, that's why I like cycling is that you can just go further. Um, well, I'm, I'm not a great cyclist, but I, uh, as, as kids, my brother and I, when we couldn't run, we would ride, um, so that we could (laughs) get out of our little town and and actually get to mountains. They were about a hundred kilometers away, um, to, to get to, I wouldn't even call them. They're not Alberta mountains, but they're, they're rolling Mm -hmm. hills, uh, outside of our town. And so we would do that. And it just kind of gave us a sense of adventure and kind of, you know, like that we weren't totally landlocked in this little Valley. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a a great activity. Yeah. yeah. Right. Sometimes you just need that to prevent uh, mental fatigue. Yeah. Well, and I um, I appreciate what you said uh, earlier about about diet, but I I think even with with other sports and and this isn't me promoting uh, or encouraging people to to reach out to a coach, but even like you um, reaching out and just being trying to join a team. Uh, there are there are, there are a ton of free community groups of runners where you live, um, and also where I live. Um, but there are also, you know, there are swimming teams, there's, you can get a membership, you can work with a personal trainer to, to learn how to do the lifts and things like that. So those, um, those, those services are, I think, beneficial, at least to get the the basics and the groundwork, totally. uh, rather than just jumping in and trying to do something you've seen online. Um, and, and you know what, like, but, I like the coach, the whole like structure of coaching, right? Like, I mean, maybe there's some people that just don't, but I, I just really enjoy <laughs> when I'm like with a team yeah. and being coached because, um, that way it's, it, it doesn't feel like, you know, I, I, I train clients, I train people and then it's, it's, this is, we're just changing the roles. So I don't have to, uh, think mm-hmm. about what to do with myself, I guess it sort of works, yeah. right? And, yeah, I I agree. Um, but I, I I mean I I'm a terrible swimmer and I am a terrible cyclist and uh, I I don't do enough of either of those or as much as I would like to of those. Um, but one thing I I love water. I absolutely love water. And so especially during the winter when it's cold outside, like one of my favorite things to do is get my run done and then bring my little kids to the pool. Oh, yeah. And I may swim just a couple of laps just to kind of decompress and stretch my back out and stuff like that. But it's not so much even just for um to build endurance or stamina. It's it's really just for recovery. Um and then and then just sit in the kid pool or the hot tub <laughs> sometimes sometimes for hours. Yeah. And just like play with my kids and let them play. And so 
I feel like that's like the ultimate form of recovery yeah. and I get to do it with yeah. my kids. Like I, I do it cause I want to be with my kids, but it's like, okay, do I want to go sit in the snow or do I want to sit in a hot tub? Hot tub, hot tub it, it is. is. We're oh, going yeah. to the pool. <laughs> 100 times. So, yeah. Uh, and they, I, I, I love seeing kids in water too, because um, it's, although it can be dangerous, it's also, you know, it's a lot of fun and they, they can gain a lot of confidence too. So I, I think mixing it up like mm-hmm. you've described um, with, with training can be really helpful. And then as we age lifting weights, certainly yes. um, and, and, and getting those hormone levels back up, like very few hormones, like <laughs> after the age of 30 continue to at least positive hormones yes. that lead to yes. positive uh, gains um, increase in, in men and yeah. women. Yeah. And, and so, um, so lifting is actually one of the ways to, to keep the testosterone level up, um, and, and strengthen the bones and things like that. And so, you know, none of us have unlimited amounts of time, but, uh, if our goal is to be active and moving regularly, um, this is, this is definitely something we need to address, um, yeah, incorporate yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, are there any parting words that you'd like to leave with our listeners? <laughs> no, I think we've covered, yeah, all, yeah, no, it's all good. All right, perfect. Well, that's episode 12 of the Art and Science of Running podcasts, and we appreciate you, Carla, and um, we'll leave some information in the show notes about how to reach out to Carla um, for for her coaching expertise as a, as a nutrition coach and also as a personal trainer. Um, do you still have some, some availability for nutrition yeah, clients, yeah, yeah. Carla? Perfect. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll share that information with you in the show notes and, um, you can listen to the art and science of running podcast on Apple podcasts or on Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google podcasts, or essentially anywhere else where you can find podcasts. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you would listen, rate, and review the show. Let us know how we're doing. Let your friends know uh, if a particular episode might interest them. Um, please subscribe, and uh, this will help others hear about what uh, we're trying to share as, as a free resource to the world. Um, and if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook as Art and Science of Running. Um, there's a, there's a page and a group. So if you'd like to be part of the interacting with the group, there's an art and science of running group. It's, it's open to the public and that's where we'll, we get some of these questions that we discuss, um, in addition to just the work that we do day to day with athletes. Also we're on Instagram and on Twitter. So if you just do a search for the art and science of running, um, and then our website is artsciencerun.com. And, uh, we're, we feel like there's a need for these conversations amongst ourselves, but also um, with some of the other experts that we're able to bring in. And so we welcome your questions and hope that these are helping. If you climb the